0: we might just do a mini-series called soul detox i think it's a good time of year to be doing detoxing to be taking a look at what's inside and just saying is this stuff okay to be in is isn't it and if it's not let's get rid of it all right Uh, You know, you always get those disgusting green drinks that people drink, and those are detoxing things. I don't know how it works. It looks terrible. I've never tried it. I'm not going to. Um, But apparently it takes and flushes the toxins out of your system. I'm pretty sure it would. Nothing would want to be in your body at the same time as any of that stuff. So we are going to detox, but not in in, in a physical way. But we're going to do a bit of a soul detox, a bit of a heart detox, and just say... Let's get rid of some stuff as we move into 2016. It's a great time to do it, and so I hope that you enjoy this. Uh, but more than that, I hope that you are helped by what I'm going to share this morning. And you'll see there that the, the subject or the topic for this morning is that, resentment. Now, that's a very dark and gloomy thing to be starting with, but that's what I'm starting with. I've shared a little bit of my story, uh, of one of the stories of my life um, a little while ago, but I want to go into a slight bit more detail about it. Um, it's, it's a testimony of mine that maybe happened about eight years ago. And um, Sarah and I had been married five years, and we were expecting our first child. Well, Sarah was. I was too, but I wasn't pregnant. I don't know why I see people go, we're pregnant, because it's just the lady. But anyway... Um, So Sarah was pregnant with our firstborn, who is Sasha, who is now eight years old. So that's how I know it was about eight years ago. That's my frame of reference. And so about eight years ago... I was uh, walking in a lovely suburb in Cape Town. If you know Cape Town at all, Takai is a beautiful suburb. Um, it's leafy, it's green, it's got wealthy properties and all that sort of thing, high fences, all you know, all the lovely things that you'd want to find in a suburb um, like that. It's a kind of place where I can walk, but I can't live. And so because I couldn't afford to live there, I walked there because uh, it's beautiful. Okay? So I was walking there at the time. I was a youth pastor in the church that I was in. And we were walking, uh, I was walking with another teenager, and we were talking, and you know, when you are a youth pastor, you do a lot of one-on-one with people. You just seem to. It's just the territory. Um, And and we were walking along merrily, talking and discussing things and that sort of thing, when a car pulled up in front of us, and men came out, and they walked past us. So, you know, of course, you get a little bit nervous. Car stops. Okay, we're... This doesn't look like a car that should be in this neighborhood. But then again, I don't look like a person who should be in this neighborhood. So I carried on walking, and the people walked past us and then came up behind us. And they um, immediately, the t- two of the guys were searching my pockets from behind, and, s- and then the bigger guy came from the front, and he had a gun in his hand. And so the idea was obvious. I think I knew what to do. I just stood there and allowed myself to be frisked. Uh, And that's what happened, and everything of value was was taken away, and that's how these things work. And um, but I was with a girl, and so I was quite nervous for her sake about what could happen, what they might ask to do, what if they say they're going to take her? Now you're going to fight against a gun, or you're going to you you know it it puts your whole mind in a in a split second. You have to think of of And a a massive amount of situations and scenarios that could take place. Obviously, as I said, we were expecting our first child. So the thought in my head was, my kid could grow up without a dad. My wife could grow up without a husband. This could be a real problem um, right now, this thing that could happen. What if they take this girl at gunpoint? What if they take me at gunpoint? You know, you just don't know what's going to happen. And so it leaves you kind of dazed and bewildered. But they took the stuff... And with some choice language, they did what they needed to do, and they started walking back to the car. And obviously we were relieved that nothing more had happened until they turned around again. And so they came back to us, and, and now you obviously you, you are panic-stricken. And some of you know these circumstances. And some of you have been in something similar to this. And you just stand there, dry mouth, going, what's going to happen now? And they come, and they just took some shots at me in the face with their fists and they just hit me a little bit and we think now in hindsight that it was just to daze and confuse so you don't remember license plates or faces and that sort of thing. Well, it works. I promise you, if that is the tactic, it really does serve its purpose um, because I did not remember license plates after that. And uh, But the great news is that they didn't touch the girl and then they went back in their car and they drove away. That was the end of that story. It, for me, was quite a terrifying one. Um, could have ended a lot of different ways. But then... This is now the interesting thing, is that just a few months later, still in the same year, Sarah had now given birth. Sasha was born. She was about a month old, I think, at the time, and uh, we, were, we were at youth, okay, as you are as a youth pastor, and you're waiting there at 10 o'clock, waiting for the last person's mother to arrive, as it always is. If you are that mother, don't be that mom, okay, just pick your kids up, um, and so we were waiting there, and I was with two teenagers, and I was dropping one at home, and we were waiting for the other one's grandma to come fetch her, and we waited and waited. And then a car pulled up into the, into the driveway of the church, and they said, Hi, we're looking for Tammy. So I thought, well, Tammy, there was actually a girl named Tammy. So I said, look, Tammy isn't here. Uh, she, she left like an hour ago. So then they all got out the car, pulled out their guns, and then, so I thought, oh, you know what? I've just got my drivers again. I've just got my credit cards back. Um, just bought a new wallet. Just got a new cell phone. This is not. But anyway, you do think of those things. Uh, well, some people do. I did. And uh, and so obviously, I was again like, just oh gosh, okay, here we go again. Like just so obviously, I'm saying, okay, just stay still, give them what they need. Let's just uh, been through this before. Okay, all right, cool, take it. All right. And I said, look, do you mind if I just have my drivers? Um, it's such a mission to get it. Do you mind? So he actually opened up my wallet and he threw my drivers on the ground. Can you believe it? So <laughs> there you go. Some grace in the situation. It saved me a few hours at home affairs or whatever. And, uh, and again, so and now he was getting very angry. He wanted my car keys and my car keys were in my pocket. Um, but I couldn't find them. In the sort of panic, I was like, I actually don't know where they are. Um, and he wasn't impressed with the answer, and uh, eventually I did find them, and I said, okay, here they are, and then uh, they took my car uh, for a spin. They took it, I think in two days, 5,000 kilometers, so I don't know how you do that, but they really drove far, and it was, it was on bricks when we found it and all that sort of thing. So, so But those kids that I was with were teenagers, probably 15 and maybe 16 or 14, quite young, and completely traumatized by this. For me, I felt like, you know what, I've done this before. They left us alone. That's the main thing here. Now I've got a child, I've got a wife. There's more to live for than your wallet or your cell phone uh, or your ego. And so I was kind of okay, but for the, they were absolutely traumatized by this thing. So their guitars were stolen, all the stuff they were carrying, and there was musicians in the church. And, uh, and for their sake, I decided to... Go to counseling. So I said to them, look, you need post-trauma counseling. Not me, but you do. I'm the adult. I'm the pastor. I'm okay. But you guys look terrified. We need to get you there. And we went and we sat around and we chatted to a a, a trained Christian um, trauma psychologist, someone who works at the police station on that side. And you won't believe this. She found the most problem with me. I was like, no, no, I'm just accompanying them. It's cool. They need the help. Okay, help them to get through this thing. And she said, you have got a lot of anger about not this incident, but the previous incident. And I didn't want to admit that at all. Because I needed to keep it together. I was the pastor. I was the strong one. I wasn't the one who needed the help at the time. I was literally ministering at the moment of both of those incidents. But I was struggling with feelings of anger and humiliation and ultimately resentment and that's why I want to bring this up because resentment doesn't just happen from one way or another let me give you a definition because you're going to realize something, resentment happens so much more than we think it does this is what the dictionary says bitter indignation or bitter anger at having been treated unfairly, I can relate to that my definition Re-sentiment. You know, your sentiment is your feeling and re is to do something over and over again. What I found when I would lie down at night is that I would play that movie over over and over and over and over. And I would go to sleep and I would sleep terribly. I would wake up sweating with my knuckles like this, my fists clenched, angry. And you know, when you don't get sleep, you're not the best husband you can be. You're not the best father you can be. And you're definitely not the best Christ follower you can be. Things are tough. And you, it, it, it just was taking a toll on me. But I just thought, you know what, time heals all wounds. Let's do this thing and let's push forward. And uh, actually there was something in me that had taken root. There was that bitter indignation at having been treated unfairly. So that's my experience. I wanted revenge for the humiliation that they put me through. I used to daydream, and as I said, nightdream as well, about what I might do if I had a second chance. About just put me in that situation again, and let's see what happens. Or just give me some indication that that gun is plastic and not metal, and let's see what really happens here. Or just if I was there with just one other friend of mine, just one other friend, you know, and, and it would be, and I would just, and you can't switch it off. It just plays over and over, and it's an absolutely awful thing. And uh, that's just my story. But I really think we've all got stories. We've all got instances. We've all got things in our past that we could tag this word resentment onto. You ever had that feeling? You know, when someone else gets the promotion, you've been thinking is coming your way. And you've been working hard and you've been brown-nosing the boss. Now I'm just joking, but you have been working hard. You've been putting in all the energy. You've been putting in the effort. And next thing you know, someone else gets the promotion. That's resentment. In a school setting, it would be like like being passed up for prefectship. You know? and, and you go, how did they put that guy as a prefect? Don't they know how he lives on the weekend? And they don't choose me or that sports team. Or maybe you're from work and you know that you're one of the people that work hard and you're the guy they let go. Or maybe, and this is a little bit more cutting, when a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend betrays you and you're the one who's left to pick up the pieces. They've done the thing and you're sitting there and you've got to put it all back together and be strong and sort things out for the kids and keep paying the bills and do what you need to do. Resentment builds. Or when your child decides to go their own way in life, you've put everything you can into them, and they grow up and they decide to go a different way than the way that you've raised them. And they choose moral choices which you think, is that what I did? I didn't raise you like that. When someone you love is diagnosed with a disease or passes away, it's very normal and very common to feel a resentment towards doctors, medical staff, Sometimes yourself for not picking things up. Sometimes God for why did God allow this kind of thing? And we can harbor that resentment at something that's been unfair. And can we get real for a second with all the headlines that are happening? Maybe you feel like you've been treated unfairly because of the color of your skin. Maybe you were passed up for a job because you weren't the right color. You know what builds in you? Resentment. That works both ways. Resentment. Or maybe like me, you've had a traumatic experience in your life that's just left you angry and feeling frustrated and that things are just not fair. Can you see how resentment is actually a very common feeling? These are things we feel all the time. But these are things that are so easily kept deep here. Because we're Christians. We love everyone. We're kind. We're pleasant. We smile. We don't... Uh, have things like this happen to us and so we need to just push it down especially when we're with Christian people because the last thing you want people to do is think you've got some bitterness inside of you I'm not a bitter person I'm fine, everything's cool yes I was passed up for a job but God is good hey because Christians don't show it it's a, it's a common feeling and as, a, as you can see it's often sparked by situations of injustice Jealousy or humiliation. Now, here's the thing. Wouldn't it be great to know what to do when resentment rears its ugly head? Wouldn't it be awesome to know, okay, I can feel something's happening here. I'm going to bed. I'm replaying the videos. I'm starting to get tense already. What can I do? Well, thankfully, resentment isn't a 21st century issue. It's not a new thing. Uh, In fact, the oldest documents and, and parchments and anything that we can find to date, the oldest writings have stories and tales of resentment in them. And the Bible itself, which is obviously thousands of years old, being preserved uh, from year to year to year, from generation to generation, over literally thousands of years. The oldest stories you can find in the Bible, Cain and Abel. Right? Serious resentment for a brother. What about Jacob and Esau? Esau. Big resentment. Joseph and his brothers who resented him for the dreams that he had and the purpose God had put in his life. What about the prodigal son? Now you think, how? But his older brother. Remember the brother? How he resented the prodigal son for coming back and getting a party. And he was the faithful one who didn't even go anywhere. And now you want to put on a party for this guy. So we've got lots of stories. There's no shortage in the Bible. But there's one story I want to point our attention to, and it's just to draw some, some highlights from. So I'm going to read it from the back here. You can turn with me or follow with me. It's from 1 Samuel chapter 18. It says this. Whatever Saul asked David to do, now we're picking it up sort of in the middle of things, but David had become part of Saul. He had, he'd started working for Saul, who was the king of Israel at the time. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. Everyone seemed to like David. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. I don't know why they would do that. They come out to meet King Saul and they sing these songs. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Like, let's rub this in his face. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave. It's the first recorded rave we we know of. He began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing. David, sorry, was playing the harp as he <laughs> as he did each day. Ah, hang on. Is is okay? Yeah. But Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men, and David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. It's an amazing passage of scripture of a guy who just hired David. I mean, he was a guy who could play music, and, and he could soothe something inside of Saul that just wasn't right. And, and when he played, Saul would be soothed, and so he enlisted him. And then he obviously could see how he fought when he, when he killed Goliath, and so he enlisted him to do even more. And he gave him his daughter to marry, and he became more and more in favor with the king, if I can call it that. And he could see that this guy had skills in terms of fighting. And so he gave him more and more responsibility. But then all of a sudden, the tide changed. And people started saying that David was better, more important, more amazing, more incredible uh, than Saul was. And, of course, that turned Saul's heart completely. You can say that this is an extreme case of resentment and anger, and this kind of thing doesn't happen uh, nowadays. You know what? It's a story that we can definitely draw Real life parallels from today. Things we can take from this story. And we'll see that in just a, in a moment. So, the question I want to ask is this. Why is resentment so toxic and so deadly? Why is it so bad? Why would we even need to detox our souls of this? Toxin. Is it important? Maybe it's lived with you for years and it's never really done anything. Too much damage. Yeah, maybe you've lost a bit of sleep. Maybe you've uh, been angry a few times. Maybe it's made you stereotype a certain kind of people group. Uh, Maybe it's done some damage, but it hasn't been serious enough to warrant actually dealing with. Well, that song we sang, that second one, I Surrender All, it actually, you know, that's the kind of thing we're speaking to. It's not, I surrender everything that's comfortable, I surrender everything that's just easy to give to you. I surrender is like, hey, I've got some ugly stuff in me and I need to get rid of it. God, I surrender this to you. And it's so important that we get rid of this toxin. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And here's one of them. Resentment affects your world view. See, it doesn't just affect the situation that happened. Well, it would be fine if the situation for me was just in the street and it happened. Well, I'd probably stay away from Takai. Um, I might walk around with less in my pockets. I did start doing that. I would, then I would leave my cell phone out and I would maybe carry 10 Rand notes in my pocket instead of my whole wallet. It did change the way that I walked about and did certain things. But if it just stayed there, that would be fine. But can I tell you something? If I was completely honest with you, it, it, it changed the way that I started thinking. And, and I started thinking, you know, especially after the second time, huh, now this is one how come both times it's the, it's, it's the same group of people? It's the same race group of people. What's going on here? And I remember going into a shop and seeing someone, and I thought it was the guy. I thought I recognized him. And so I was puffing out my chest, you know, as we do, and he was on his own, so I thought, okay, I've relived this a lot of times in my bed, and here you are. And I came up to him, you know, and I'm bigger than him. So I felt Amazing. <laughs> And he was by himself. And I looked around just to make sure his friends weren't there. Okay. And uh, no bulges in his waist or his thing. Okay, cool. Then we find this is what I've dreamed about. So here we go. And I walked up to him. And I said, how's it? It was a kid from youth who had left youth a while ago. And he said, hi, Dolan. And I was like, (gasps) Honestly, I got a big fright. I thought, oh, my word. Everyone I see now who even fits that profile. This guy, he's a robber. This guy, he's a thief. This guy needs to go to prison. I'm calling the cops on this guy. Now, that's, that's how it was. You see, if it just stayed on the street, well, that would be one thing. But the problem with resentment is it gives you a filter with which to look through at everything else. And you start to see things in a way. And you see people and they're acting shady. And it casts your mind back to that thing. And you can get angry and start to. And, and, and it tints the decisions that you make. And it affects So many things about you, the way we live our lives, and the way that we make decisions. So resentment doesn't just affect a little part of you, it actually affects the whole of you. The second thing is this, resentment is a barrier to progress with God. What do I mean by that? I mean there are certain things, and the Bible makes it incredibly clear, that almost, in a spiritual sense, put a brick wall between you and God. And you know, someone came to me this week and they said, I feel like I'm talking to God and there's nothing. There is nothing. Like I feel a million miles away from him. Nothing's happening. Well, there's a couple of obvious reasons that that could be the case. You know, if you are living in direct sin, if you are living in direct conflict to what the Word of God teaches and you know it, and you profess to be a Christian... Can I tell you something? That barrier is there. Every time you come in to sing, every time you talk to someone, you feel like a hypocrite. Every time you pray, you know that you're praying and you're asking for things, but you know that you're living like this. And it is a barrier. Being out of relationship with people that you love and you care about is a barrier. Have you ever tried to pray to God when you are upset with your wife or your husband? You've just had a fight and now you want to pray. I can tell you something. It's like useless. It just is like, you've, because you, you know that those two things don't gel. You know that they don't work together. You're trying to make them work together, but they cannot. If you've got unforgiveness in your heart towards someone, and it's obvious, and you are harboring it deliberately, you're just building a brick wall. And resentment is that. It just puts a barrier between you and God. And it's very unhelpful, and it's not good if you want to make any kind of progress. And this is just so clear from the story I read now with Saul, but it's clear from all the other stories I mentioned in terms of Joseph and Cain and Abel and all the others, and many other stories from the Bible. Your resentment actually has the potential to derail your walk with Christ. Now, if you aren't walking with Christ, that's not a big problem for you. But if you are a Christ follower and you're trying to live a godly way, if you're trying to live a godly life, if you are in relationship with God, well, Resentment has the potential to derail you. You see, Saul, he was the first king of Israel. He had an incredible amount of fame, prestige, honor, wealth. He literally had anything his heart could desire. Until one day, this little shepherd boy upstaged him. And his whole trajectory, the path of his life that he was going on to be the first king of Israel, to lead this nation to victory, to make it great, to make it an example to all the other nations. That whole mission and purpose of God just was like, that's not important. David's important. And he devoted his life to hunting him down after that, to killing him, not days or months, but years and years and years, all his energy, his resources, his men. And you know what? Everyone could see, this guy's lost the plot. And it made it that much easier for David, in the end, to become king, because Saul was just so inept. He just couldn't do it. He had lost his focus. But David kept on keeping on, and he pushed through, and he made it. So... Resentment has the potential to derail you because it has the potential to steal your focus and your energy. I believe that. And I can honestly say this, probably without several factors in my life, that could have been the case for me. And maybe this isn't as big as some things you've dealt with. But for me, it was a big thing. And it had the potential to just, you know, if if I didn't get through this stuff and process it properly and pray through it properly and speak to people about it, it had the potential certainly to, to derail me. So, are you still with me? Fantastic. All right. Let's see what we got here. Because this is, a, this is an interesting thing that we're going to get to now. How do I recognize resentment in my own life? I'm going to give you some very quick things. Because this is important. Maybe you've already recognized it. Maybe you've said, actually, I've got this. And that's great. But I want to tell you, because if you're not sure, let me help you. Don't you love that picture? You're trying to figure it out. It's not the kind of trigger you want to pull. How do you recognize resentment in your life? It comes out of your mouth. Resentment is a heart issue. And the Bible very clearly teaches that what is in the overflow of the heart comes out of the mouth. Resentment would always come out in your mouth. It will always come out in that little thing you say when you say, I'm not racist, but... There's this thing. Yeah, I know the boss is that. The country this. This is the... Ne- you know? It comes out in your speech. You cannot help it. You can pretend for a while. And you can probably pretend for an hour or so during church time. But when you're around a fire with a beer in your hand or you're a cool drink in your hand or something like that, the chances are it's going to come out. Sooner or later. You can only pretend for so long. And it's not that you are trying to hide it necessarily, but it will come out when you are feeling relaxed. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what Jesus taught. Resentment is actually not a biblical word. You won't really find it in there much. But the word you will find in the Bible is this word, bitterness. It's the same thing. It can be used interchangeably. Bitterness. And the Bible speaks about bitterness being a root. That's important. That's important. It says this in Hebrews look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Don't allow the seed of offense to grow a root inside of you. That root of bitterness, because as soon as that seed germinates and becomes a root, it becomes much harder to pull out. Don't allow that seed to grow. Here's the other thing, and you might have recognized that in yourself as I was speaking. The other thing is that you lose perspective. And I mentioned that sort of about Saul. And like it did with me, it kept me awake. And when I did sleep, it was not good sleep. As I said, Saul was anointed king, but he lost all perspective of what God had put on his life because of the resentment that he felt towards David. And the last thing is this, it consumes your thoughts. That's why my definition is resentiment. Because it just it consumes you. It, it, you know it, it, It's the thing you, you relive and relive and live over and again. You play the scenes over and over in your head. Those are just a couple of the symptoms that will let you know, okay, there maybe is something here. There is something that God can actually detox in me. And knowing the symptoms is a great thing. But how do you deal with it in your life? Now, this is what I'm going to close with. But this is important. If you are a Christ follower we let the Bible chisel us. We let the Bible shape us. We let the words of God or the Word of God shape how we think, feel, behave, act because we submit to the Word of God as authority. Right? Now, I want to say this. If you are in this room and you don't know about this whole Jesus thing, this whole Christianity thing, you don't know if you subscribe to it, you're thinking about it, but you're not sure, can I tell you something? This year, how do I detox resentment from my life? This isn't just for Christians. And what I'm going to say now, you can apply this as well. These are biblical principles, but anyone can apply them. And I promise you, you will see results. Now I sound like a detox advert. And that's not all. If you stay after the service, you can have coffee. So, here's the thing How do you detox? Easy words, hard actions, hey, hard actions sometimes, especially with these things, because sometimes that you don't have the opportunity. You know, if someone wrongs you, you can go up to them, you can speak through it, often it's a miscommunication, forgiveness can occur, you can move on, no problem. A lot of the time when it comes to resentment, you don't have that chance, you don't have that opportunity. The person who wronged you is maybe your boss, or it's your spouse, or in my case it's these guys. And I don't have the opportunity to say, hang on, guys, can we meet next Tuesday? Let's talk through this because I'm harboring some stuff here. Well, I don't have that opportunity. And many times we don't. Sometimes the person offends you or they hurt you and they die. Well, you got no chance then of meeting with them and speaking through this stuff. And sometimes that's the case. So, SARS in these times, especially in that time I remember... Uh, helped me to see a way. And I will say this, my freedom only came when I decided to apply God's word to my situation and be free of the way that I was thinking and acting. I still thought about it. But over time, here's the important thing. The anger dissolved out of the experience until I could remember it, but I didn't feel angry or vengeful. So the strange thing about forgiveness is it's not always a once-off. I wish it was. I forgive you. Cool. No problem. It, for me, it was an ongoing thing. That every time I felt my, my, my fists clenching, I have to let this go. Because I'm the one who's holding the gun. I'm the one who's captive. I think it was Nelson Mandela who said um, unforgiveness. He actually, I think, used the word resentment. Is like drinking a poison and expecting the other guy to die. That's what it's like. And it was like that. So you're holding this thing and they have no idea that they've caused that in you. You're not holding them captive. You're holding yourself captive. And for me, I needed to constantly, constantly, constantly. And and what I found over time was the anger dissolved out out of the memory. I had to come to a place of recognizing my own weakness and my inability to move on and to forgive the people that offended me. After doing that, and it wasn't a quick thing, but it, it did take time. But after that, I can honestly say that it was incredible how God started to take the pain and the humiliation out of, those, out of those thoughts. And I'm not sure that forgiving and forgetting is something that really happens. I haven't really experienced that in my life. I've got a poor memory, but somehow when you get hurt, you remember it. And uh, I'm not sure that you ever forget it, uh, but it is possible to forgive, even if you don't forget. And certainly God can take the sting out of the memories when we forgive and let go of our resentment. So the first thing, you want to detox it. You need to exercise forgiveness. That's not a Christian thing only. It is possible to not know God and to exercise forgiveness for other people. This can help you. Next, kindness. Because sometimes you are able to do this. Sometimes it is your boss. And you just want to take a hammer and do damage. But the Bible teaches the contrary. That's tough. You don't need to be a Christian to apply this, but you're <laughs> you need the, the help of God to do this. When you are feeling resentment towards someone, kindness is literally the last thing you feel like. But that verse I put there says this, 1 Peter 3, verse 9. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and He will bless you for it. Why did that have to be in the Bible? eh? Honestly. I've got experience of that. People who have wronged you, you're kind to them. It, It breaks something. You can argue with me all you like. You will not win. Because there's something about fighting fire with water that actually works. Fire with fire never did work. It's a stupid expression. But fire with water works, and kindness against resentment works. Next thing, security in Christ. This is a seeming like a, oh, it's gone. Don't worry about it. Let me read it to you. Security in Christ. Because resentment is linked to insecurity. Here's the thing. Secure people can absorb insults. If you know who you are, and someone insults you, well, you know they're talking rubbish. Because you're secure, you know who you are, you know what you're here for, you know what your mission is, you know what your plan is, and, and it's not a problem. Security shields you from taking offense. And it's offense that leads to resentment. So 1 Peter, just, this is just before that verse I read now, it says this, and now this is talking directly about Jesus. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So if you're a child of God, your security is very... It it can be solid in that. That when people offend you, when you are overlooked for that job position, when you are treated poorly in your marriage, when when things happen and you are unjust and you are developing resentment... You can be secure in the fact that God has your back. You can be secure in the fact that God has you in the palm of His hand. You are a child of His. You will get through this. Does that mean you will be pain-free? No, but you will get through this. And He has you. Don't fight fire with fire. Jesus never did that. Thank, literally, thank God that Jesus never fought fire with fire, that He didn't retaliate, that He didn't react to the insults and the things that were thrown at Him. Security comes from knowing God, spending time with Him and His people, connecting with Him in personal times and knowing His Word. And I I circled everything. There were three points there. I circled them all uh, with prayer, because prayer really helps. Now that part, maybe if you're not a Christian in this room, maybe that part you wouldn't want to take. But let me tell you something, that helps. Just giving these things to God. And we've spoken about that the last couple of weeks in church. Just giving these things to God. Casting your anxieties. Casting the things that are worrying your mind to God. And allowing Him to deal with these things. So, I hope I'm not presenting too much resentment as though it's a neat box that can be taken off the shelf, cleaned up, and put back on there. I know that it's difficult. And it's probably one of the hardest things to deal with. Because it's so sly. And we justify the way we feel so readily because, because you've got facts to back up why you should feel hurt and angry. I do too. And so you justify it, and you can justify it for as long as you want. But sooner or later, you're going to have to come to the place where you realize this thing's actually eating me up inside. And I don't want to walk one more step on my journey with this stuff attached to me. I need to move forward from it. And it is possible. I'm just trying to imagine now like a church or a community of people. Just imagine everyone in here. maybe there's 100, 120 people in this room now. and, uh, And everyone does what the Word of God says about resentment. And there's kindness. And there's forgiveness. How incredible would that be to spread into this community? People just resolving things. People secure in who they are. Being able to just let insults fly off them. It's no big deal. Let gossip fly off them. It's not a big deal. You want to speak badly about me? It's not a problem. I know what I'm here to do. How amazing would it be a community that embraced the teachings that I'm speaking about?